The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. Please stand for the reading of God's word. And this can be found on page 962 in the Black Pew Bibles in front of you. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable, perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Praise be to God. Well, welcome, welcome to uh, Easter Sunday at uh, Delta Church. So I hope that your Easter Sunday has been, been going um, well for you. Uh, we... we love the resurrection of Jesus Christ here at Delta Church, um, and we celebrate this in some way, shape, or form um, every Sunday, but this is the Sunday where we as believers, uh, when it comes to the resurrection, this is the Sunday we set aside and we go for broke. Um, what we do is we worship Jesus because he's risen. Uh, we preach scriptures about Jesus because he is risen. We sing songs. Um, everything we do focuses on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and I'm just so thankful that you took time out of your schedule, um, out of your week to come and, and worship with us and to, to join us. Um, here, here's what I believe. I believe that none of us are here by chance. Whether you just normally attend church with us or whether you're just a guest visiting here with us, the Bible has a very real category for God is the one who orders our steps, orders our seasons, sets our boundaries. And I just want you to know that, that you're not just sitting here by happenstance. It's not just by luck that you showed up here today. Yes, you, you may have made a decision. You may have come uh, upon an invite from somebody who just wanted you to, to come and celebrate Easter with them. But the Bible has a very real category for um, you just not sort of by luck being here. God has ordered your steps and brought you here. And what's good about this is this, is that we have as a church and as individuals of this church, we've been praying hard for you, um, for you as guests and for you who are just regular tenders. Um, at the individual level, at the community group level, even at the corporate level of Delta Church, what we've been praying is that God would open all of our hearts to just hear the good news of Easter um, this morning. And so I think you, what you're doing is you're here because God has answered that prayer in some sense. He has drawn you into our midst. And so what I firmly believe is that God has something for you this morning. That the normal ebb and flow of your life um, might be interrupted in a good way this morning. That a heart that may not be in love with Jesus, you may walk out of here today being in love with Jesus because God has done something in your life this morning. So in my mind's eye, what I have is sort of this picture of this continuum. 
right, where there's just two opposite ends of, of a spectrum. And, and for some of us, we are here this morning as regular tenders. Some of us here are here as guests. Um, some of us come here um, very near to God. Some of us come here very far from God. Um, some of us are up and out. Some of us are down and out. Some of us are young. Some of us are old. Some of us come here as believers in Jesus Christ, trusting and, and resting in Him alone as our only hope of salvation. Some of you are here just as questioners. Uh, you're curious about this Jesus thing. Maybe you just got just pure doubt about things like Jesus and the resurrection. Or maybe you're just like super, super skeptical. Like really dead? A dead guy's come back to life? How, how do I process this and you're thinking about this? And what I want you to know is that you're in a good place this morning. Um, you can ask those kinds of questions here at Delta. We welcome those kinds of questions here at the Delta. The Bible has answers for those kinds of questions. We love Jesus, and so this morning what we're going to do is we're just going to turn our attention to Jesus. He is the Word of the Lord, and He's the Lord of the Word. And so what we're going to do is take some time this morning, we're going to open our Bibles, and we're going to look and see what the Bible has to say to us about this thing called the resurrection. This is what we celebrate as Christians on Easter Sunday. We celebrate this good news. We're going to go big, and what we're going to see as we turn our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and again, there should be um, around you some Bibles if you don't have one of your own or if you can't access it on your phone. But there's a certain section of Scripture in the Bible where the Apostle Paul, a man who is a Jesus follower, is going to answer some questions that some people were having about two things. This idea of the resurrection and this very real reality of death. And so when you go to the New Testament in the Bible, there is a letter that Paul wrote to some Christians in the city of Corinth, and so we call this the first letter he wrote to the Corinthians, and at the very end of this letter, what you see is that these people have a lot of questions about these sorts of things. Like They're trying to wrestle with this reality and just come to terms with this, this idea of resurrection, death becoming life. And what does that mean just in regard to this idea of death and this idea of dying? So whenever you start talking about things like resurrection and things like death, what this inevitably does is it just stirs up questions, right? Questions like, you know, what really, what really does happen after I die? Right? I mean, it's so cliche, but it's just so true. It's like, right, uh, you're, you're talking to someone and you want to make a little funny joke about death, and it's like, hey, you Surveys in, the results are unanimous, 100%, one out of one people die, that kind of thing. Um, all of us are going to inevitably have to face death. No one escapes it. And so when the Bible starts talking about death or someone close to you passes away or someone near and dear who once was there all of a sudden is just taken very quickly, inevitably what happens is you just start asking questions about death and dying. Do I just stop existing when I go into the grave? If these things are true, that there's nothing that happens to me after I die, if I just stop existing when I go into the grave, then what's the purpose of my life here and now? Like, what's the meaning to it? Like, what's the value to my life? Is this just all there is? 
furthermore, I mean, when it comes to this idea of the resurrection, does it even really matter whether or not Christ has been raised from the dead? I mean, I know the Christians get amped up about the resurrection, but like, well, really, what's the deal with that? Does it really matter whether or not that happened? Does it really matter if I believe this or not? I mean, so maybe I'll give credence like, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, there's enough evidence to substantiate that Jesus was dead, buried, but came out of the grave. But do I really have to believe that? Can I just stick this in the category of good for you, mm, not, not so important for me? Or maybe you go a step further and go, man, I give credence to the idea that Christ was resurrected from the grave. I see that it sort of matters for me, but then you ask the inevitable question, like, so what exactly, what kind of impact is this really supposed to have on my life? Like, is it supposed to have any impact? In light of this belief, does it adjust my behavior in any, in any way? Now, for some of you, you've come from a church background, or maybe you've had friends or family to where whenever you start raising these kinds of questions, people really frown upon this. Like, listen, man, like you're not allowed to ask those kinds of questions of the Bible, they might say. Or you had a church that frowned upon questions that might come off looking like doubt or skepticism or those kinds of things. And so what they did is they tried to, to quell that. They tried to squash that way of thinking. But the good news for you and I is that the Bible doesn't shy away from answering these types of questions. The Bible actually encourages us to ask these kinds of questions, to come and to open it and to search the pages of Scripture and to see what answers does the living God have for these questions, specifically these questions about resurrection and death. And so when we turn our attention to our preaching text for this morning, which Rebecca read for us, what we're going to bump into is a group of people who had questions just like we do about resurrection and death. And they were trying to wrap their minds around the mystery of the resurrection and what exactly this meant for them. And what Paul is going to do is he's going to take these two categories, resurrection and death, and he's going to tackle them head on. He's going to go right at them and he's going to unpack two truths and then apply them for the believers on what it means to think and understand rightly in regard to this idea of the resurrection and what it means for our bodies specifically And then he's going to turn to this reality of sin and what it means as it relates to death. In a nutshell, if you could just boil down these these nine verses into one sentence, it would look like this. Paul is going to show the Corinthians and subsequently us that the mystery of the resurrection points to the victory of Jesus over death. So he's going to come to them and say, I know you've got questions about the resurrection, and and there's something that's a bit of a mystery to it, the way that we've got to try to understand it. We'll unpack what that means in a little bit, but he's going to say, listen, you're not going to be able to understand everything about it, but there are answers for your questions about the resurrection. There's a mystery to it, but what he doesn't do is just divorce this as some like bizarre biblical trivia question, like here's some random things you need to know about the resurrection. What he's going to say is, no, the idea of the resurrection, it has a very real reality. It's supposed to have a very real impact. And what the very real impact is, is that it points to Jesus, Jesus being resurrected from the dead, and the victory over sin and death that we have in Christ. The mystery of the resurrection points to the victory of Jesus over death. 
So now if you're a note taker or if you just like to have sort of like a, you know, some mental road signs, that, some mental hooks you can hang your thoughts on, here's two for you. We're going to divide our text up into two categories. And we're going to see as Paul's going to talk about resurrection mystery and resurrection victory. And that's how he's going to just present this information to their questions that they have about these two things. So if you got your copy of Scripture, you can go ahead and, and just look at it. And in those first four verses, the Apostle Paul begins to answer their questions. And what he says is this concerning resurrection mystery. Verse 50. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood are, are physical bodies. These things cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, he's going to go a little King James Version on us here. Behold, he says... I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die. But we shall all be changed. And this reality will happen, he says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. That last trumpet's going to sound, and these two things are going to happen. The dead will be raised imperishable, and then we who are alive will be changed by God in an instant. Verse 53, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. See, one of the hang-ups for these Christians who are living in Corinth revolved around this question. They were specifically asking, you can look back a couple verses earlier, they were asking this question, how are the dead raised? So Paul was preaching resurrection, and it spurred on a very real question. They're like, okay, I hear what you're saying, but like, what exactly does this mean? Like you're saying these bodies are going to go into the grave and then out of the ground something is going to happen. How are the dead raised? Furthermore, what kind of body will these, will these resurrected things have? And the short answer was this. Paul is saying they will have a transformed, resurrected body. He says our earthly physical bodies, this flesh and blood, it cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This earthly reality that we all know and the heavenly reality that those in Christ will experience are completely different from each other. God created our earthly bodies for a specific purpose and an ex earthly existence. This flesh and blood was never designed for a heavenly existence. So when our perishable mortal body dies, it goes into the ground, the purpose for which it was created comes to an end. Your flesh and blood, your hair, your eyes, your, your, your sinews, your, your bones and your muscles, all these things God has created for an existence that is here on earth. And it's going to serve its purpose up until the day that you die, then you're going to go into the ground. But then Paul says, then when we are resurrected by the power of God, Paul says this mortal body, this flesh and blood, it will be resurrected, it will be transformed, it will be raised into something new. And his specific phrase is, this mortal body must put on immortality, is what he says. And he says, this just can't happen any other way. Our perishable body must be changed. Our old body is done. Having served its purpose, we will be clothed with a new body that never dies. Now, admittedly, you're, you're, you're reading these things and you're just beginning to ask questions like, okay, like, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my mind around this. Like, what exactly this means? Like, there's, there's something mysterious about this. And Paul goes, that's exactly right. Verse 52, he says, behold, I'm telling you a mystery. We ask the question, okay, how is this going to happen? How will this take place for those who have died? 
And what about those who are alive? So those who are dead, they go into the ground. Some time passes. Jesus comes back. They will be resurrected to a new transformed body. But what about those people who are still alive whenever this happens? How are we supposed to reconcile, reconcile that reality? And Paul just says, listen, what you just need to know is that those who've died in Christ and even those who are alive in Christ, there's going to be a change. There's going to be a change. There has to be a change. And this change is the mystery of the resurrection. It was once hidden, but it's now been revealed through Christ. Christ is the prototype. When you look at Christ and see how Christ interacts post-resurrection, He still has a body, but it's a transformed body. And He becomes the forerunner of what it's going to look like for us. This is the mystery. It was sort of secret, hidden, but now it's been put out on full display for all to see when you look at Jesus and his life post-resurrection. We're not all going to sleep. We're not all going to die, but we will be changed. In a moment, twinkling an eye, last trumpet, that trumpet's going to sound. The dead in Christ will be raised to life, transformed with a new body to live forever, and then simultaneously, right on the heels of that, then those who are alive in Christ will be changed as well. And so all of you are thinking, well, thank you for that interesting tidbit. What on earth is this supposed to mean for me? And that's a good question. Like, if you want to take these four verses, verses 50 and 53, and if you just want to, like, stick it in a distillery and just distill it down to its essence, verses 50 through 53 teach us this. We will be changed. We will be changed. And when this happens, when this change happens... The overwhelming evidence will be that this was all accomplished by God alone. Nowhere in the Scripture, nowhere here in these verses, Paul implying that this change that's going to come about is because you or I did something to ourselves. We didn't reach into ourselves and make ourselves come alive out of the grave. We didn't do anything in particular to make our old bodies become new bodies, transformed, resurrected bodies. When this happens, when these events in verse 51 and 52 take place, what is going to be evidently clear is that God alone is the one exercising power that rests in Him alone to change us from death into life, from mortal to immortality from perishable to imperishable. True, the resurrection is a mystery, but the resurrection is the thing which proves that God alone has the power to change. God is the one who has the power to change. Now, the good news for you and I is that God is in the business of change. He's in the business of change. He's the God who delights in bringing change. And all of us, in one way or another, recognize our need for change. There's something going on in your world right now that's beyond the reach of your control, and you feel it keenly. Whether it's some trial or suffering, something that you would just long to fix. You would give anything to be able to fix this thing in your world, and it's just so evidently beyond the reach. What's so clear in the midst of of this thing you want to change is this, I just don't even have the ability to bring the kind of change that I want. And just as much as we recognize our need for change, we, we simultaneously recognize we are completely unable to bring about the change that we desire. And what we're meant to see is that this reality of our inability to change ourselves, we experience it on the physical level, 
But it is nowhere more true than our need for spiritual change. Spiritual change. Listen, the Bible says that to not be a Christian is to be outside of Christ. The same guy who wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he has a familiar phrase. One of his favorite phrases is this, in Christ. To be in Christ is to know salvation. To know salvation is to be in Christ. To be redeemed is to be in Christ. To be right with God is to be in Christ. And so if we take the reverse of that, to not be saved, to not be a Christian, to not know reconciliation with God is to be outside of Christ. And the Bible says that to not be a Christian is to be outside of Christ. And to be outside of Christ, here's another phrase the Bible uses, is to be spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because all have sinned, we are all spiritually dead. I think it's on AMC. Um, There's a show. It's a hit show, The Walking Dead. Anybody? Yeah, you're in church. You can be honest. There you go. we got one brother raising his hand, a couple of people, right? Probably other you guys are lying, so it's also a bad place to be while you're in church, right? Okay. So The Walking Dead. What, what, what is going on in The Walking Dead? Zombies, right? What's the essence of a zombie? They're alive, but they're dead. They're walking around doing things that living people do, but they're not really living. They're dead. They're the living dead. They're zombies, If John Davis could force a paraphrase from the Bible, it would be this. To be outside of Christ is to be a spiritual zombie. It's to be a spiritual zombie. You're physically alive, but you're spiritually dead. Some of you here are spiritual zombies. You're walking around living. You've got a job. You've got money. You're buying things. You're going places. You're doing stuff. Your lungs are breathing. Your muscles are moving. Your brain is waving. Right? You're fully alive physically, but you're a spiritual zombie because in the heart of hearts, you are spiritually dead. So for anyone here this morning, if you find yourself in the place where you are not trusting in Jesus Christ alone as your only hope for salvation, then this reality is true of you. You are spiritually dead, and what you are in need of is a change of going from spiritual death to spiritual life. Now, the Bible categorically says that we are fully incapable of being able to reach into ourselves and to move ourselves from spiritual death to spiritual life. We can't do this. This goes back to what I've said a little bit earlier. We recognize our inability. We cannot speak to ourselves and say, dead spiritual self now becomes spiritual life. We just can't do it. We don't have that power. That power of moving from death to life is completely outside of us. And in short, what the Bible tells us is this, is that we need someone who can speak to our spiritual death and bring spiritual life out of death. We need someone who can cause within us a spiritual resurrection, so to speak. In short, we need someone who has the absolute power to be able to change us. And the overwhelming answer, the chorus shout of the Bible, is that there is one who has the power to bring life out of death, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And what he does is bring resurrection, and what he does is bring life. He alone can bring the kind of spiritual change, the kind of spiritual resurrection that we need. 
One of my favorite pieces of Scripture in the Bible comes from the Gospel of John. So there was a disciple, a follower of Jesus. His name was John. And he wrote about the life of Christ in the Gospel of John. And there's a certain interaction in John chapter 11 where Jesus is talking with a woman named Martha. Martha's brother Lazarus has died. Jesus has shown up a couple days late. Lazarus has been in the grave for four days. And he comes up, and before he speaks to Lazarus and actually calls Lazarus out of the grave, he has this very interesting conversation with Martha, the sister of Lazarus. So Martha's weeping and crying, her brother's dead in the grave. She's saying things like this, Jesus, like, if you just would have been here, I know you could have done something. And she's not really, like, deriding Jesus. She's just saying, like, listen, I know, I know you have the power to bring death off. You could have stopped this from happening. And as Jesus is interacting with her, he, he eventually comes to this place where he's talking with Martha, and it's, and it's like he just sits her down, and he just looks her right in the face, and he says, listen, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die physically, yet shall he live spiritually. And it's like he turns right to her, looks her right in the face, and says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? See, my hope for some of you this morning is that you won't walk away spiritually riding the fence on this. My hope today is that through your interaction with the Scriptures and through your interaction with these words of Jesus is that you will either land on one side of the fence where you go, listen, I've heard this guy talk about resurrection and life, talk about Jesus, how he alone has the power to bring about the spiritual change I need because my sin has separated me from the living God. And when the question came my way, do I believe this? No, I don't believe this. For some of you, my hope is this, is that what you'll do is that you will come face to face with this question and you'll be forced to answer this question to wrestle with this question, not putting it off to the side, but recognizing, I do believe this. I do see this. I know this. I need this. I need the Lord of the resurrection, the Lord of life, to bring within me the spiritual change that I need. See, this question, do you believe this? It's the question we all have to ask and we all need to answer. And it's pointed right directly at you, and you can't evade it. See, what Jesus doesn't say is, Sir, does your mom and dad believe this? That's good enough. Ma'am, does grandma or grandpa believe this? That's good enough. The church you used to go to, but maybe not so much anymore, they used to believe this. Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not asking about church. I'm asking about grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, friend, neighbor, mom, dad, brother, sister, co-worker, boss. I'm not asking about this. I'm asking this. Do you believe this? So Paul is talking to them about the resurrection mystery. He says this perishable body, it's got to put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. And what it shows us is this, is that we need resurrection change that comes from Jesus Christ himself. So what Paul does is he moves on next to from resurrection mystery to resurrection victory. 
He's talked to them now about some of their questions in regard to resurrection. Now he's going to switch to the subject of death. Death. You can look in your copy of Scripture. This is what, what Paul's going to tell them. Listen, let me build some categories for you concerning death, he says. Then, when the imperishable puts on, or I'm sorry, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. From resurrection mystery to resurrection victory. See, the mystery of the resurrection points to the victory of Jesus over death. Do you recognize that we need somebody who can defeat death because we can't do it on our own? Sin and death are what separate us from the living God. We need somebody who can come and defeat death, put death to death, who can conquer our sin for us because, again, we are unable to do it ourselves. And so when Paul says, listen, when the imperishable puts on imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come the past, the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. This reality leads Paul to flaunt this victory, that death is swallowed up in victory. It leads him to say, look right at death and go, death, where is your victory? Death, where, where is your sting? Now the question you have to ask yourself in light of this is like, how can How can Paul say this? Like, I see what seems to be the victory and the sting of death everywhere. People are still dying. So, like, is Paul just, like, off his rocker? I mean, what is he doing? What is he saying here when he comes and says, listen, death swallowed up in victory. I'm going to taunt you, death. I'm going to flaunt this victory in front of your face. Where's your victory, death? Where is your sting? The consistency is of death is everywhere. And when we ask this question, how can Paul say this? What we need to see is that the key to answering the question, how can Paul say death has been swallowed up in victory, is found in verse 56. It's found in verse 56. The sting of death is sin. This is why Paul can flaunt victory over death. When he says the sting of death is sin. See, listen, death isn't an enemy just because it is the result of normal human decay. Like if death was just merely the result, like, hey, you get old, sort of law of entropy, everything just sort of goes away and it just eventually is going to die and it's just sort of the way things is. No other strings attached, just things get or new, eventually become old and just sort of disappear. Like death may not be as fearful. Death may not be, uh, carry as much of a sting. But that's not why death is an enemy. Death isn't an enemy just because it's something that's unpleasant that we must endure. No, death is terrible, Paul says, because of sin. Death is death because of sin. And not only that, but Paul goes on and he says, listen, there's the power of of sin as the law. See, listen, the law of God tells us what to do. It's God's message to us, do this, don't do that, don't do that, do this. It's God setting up good boundaries for us so that we function as we were created to function in His economy. 
But what we do is we look at the law and go, I see what God wants me to do. No, thanks. The Bible says, that's sin. What we do is go, God, I know you're supposed to be the one who rules the throne of my heart, but thank you very much. I don't think you're doing a very good job. And we dethrone God, and what we do is we enthrone ourselves. And what we just do is we just bump into the laws of God, these good things that God has given us, and we just say, no thanks, God, I'm going to do life my way. And we rebel against God as something that we've all done. And the Bible says very clearly that God's curse, God's wrath exists on those who rebel against God in this way. And it's something that every human being has done. So when you boil it down, what makes death so terrifying is our sin And what gives that terror force is the entire law of God which stands behind it and corroborates this is not going to go good for us if you stand before God with your sin still hanging over you and not taken care of by someone or something else. Death is death because of sin. Verse 56, it's like death is a scorpion or death is a bee. And it has a stinger called sin. And its desire is to come and to sink that stinger into you and to pump its venom into you so that you will die. That's what death is going for. Now, the problem for many of us is that we think we can play around with the stinger of death and somehow avoid its sting. Like go and pick up a scorpion and just like draw it, draw it near and it's got, you know, that little curved tail and that little stinger. We're like, man, this scorpion's so nice and we're hugging it and stuff. And that scorpion's like, <laughs> it's like, why are you doing that? Like you don't play around with a scorpion and somehow assume you're not going to get stung by the scorpion. But for those of us outside of Christ, this is exactly what we're doing with the scorpion of death. We're bringing death near. We're playing around with it. It's got a sting called sin. We're playing around with the stinger of sin like it's no big deal thinking that we can play around with it and somehow not get stung or not somehow face the consequences of the sting of sin. We think that we can take sin lightly and treat it as no danger to us only to find out the very thing we thought was no big deal is going to be the thing which separates us from God for all eternity. And what we are meant to see when we read these last verses is that you and I need someone who can absorb the sting of death on our behalf so that we don't have to experience it ourselves. Death is going to issue a sting. Death has to issue a sting. What we need is someone who can stand condemned in our place, absorbing the sting of death on our behalf so that we don't have to face it. And the good news for you and I is that there is one who has absorbed the sting of death on our behalf. And it's this truth which leads Paul to shout, thanks be to God. Why am I going to give thanks to God right now for this reason? Victory over sin and death has come through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory which swallows up death is firmly grounded in the good news of the cross. For at the cross, Jesus Christ satisfied all the demands of the law and bore all the penalty for our sin. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, died, was buried, he was dying for our sins. He was absorbing the sting of death for us. It'd be like me going out into the backyard with with my child. 
And we're playing around out in the backyard, and there's just this wicked yellow jacket, just this awful bee buzzing around, buzzing around, buzzing around. And my child says, I'm afraid of this. Get this away from me. I don't want it to sting me. And in the moment when that yellow jacket sort of, <laughs> like in my mind's eye, I've got the old uh, Donald Duck cartoons, right, where that bee, like, takes his bottom and sticks it out like a big, that big uh, stinger. It's like, zzz, you know, like, right, he comes in. Like, I've got that in my mind, right? Like, that bee is just, like, taking aim, and he's honing in on, the, on, the, on my child. And then at that last moment, right when that yellow jacket's about ready to come and implant that sting, that sting that's going to hurt, that sting that's bringing fear, that sting that we don't want to experience, what I do is I stick my hand out in its, uh, on top of my son's hand, and instead of a stinger going into my son, the stinger gets absorbed fully by me, the father. So that when the sting is now gone from the bee, we have a stingerless bee. Who's scared of a stingerless bee? Nobody. We can face that bee now full bore. Why? Because its sting has been absorbed by the Father. That's what Christ did at the cross. We can go full bore into death, looking death in the face. Why? Because death and its sting has been absorbed, abolished by Christ. And the proof that he has abolished it and has absorbed the sting of death fully and completely is that Jesus isn't a sack of bones in a Palestinian grave. The fact that he's burst forth out of the grave, what we're celebrating this morning is the signal, the sign that Jesus Christ has won the victory over Satan, over sin, over death. Listen, that's the good news of Easter. That's why we celebrate what we do on Easter Sunday. God has won the victory over sin and death through a crucified and resurrected Christ. When you go back to the Gospel of John, the last words coming out of Jesus as he is pinned to a cross, bleeding and broken, mocked and humiliated as he shouts, It is finished! And we have to ask ourselves, What's finished? What could not be finished until he finished it? And the answer is this. Someone absorbing the sting of death fully in our behalf, bringing victory over sin and death that we could not bring ourselves. Jesus is the one who has finished it. When he was dying on the cross, his shout of, it is finished, was him saying, the thing that we are completely unable to do on our own has been accomplished. It is finished. Christ has died for our sins. He was buried, but he was raised on the third day, proving that he not only fully absorbed the sting of death, but that he had defeated death wholly and completely. Death has been put to death. We now have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. Gospel in the Bible is a code word for good news. The good news is this, that you can be made right with God. You can move from spiritual death to spiritual life this morning because Jesus has accomplished what you cannot accomplish. And what he says is this, what you do to receive what I have done is you come and you trust and rest in me alone. What we don't do is we stand there and go, Jesus, so thankful Man, I'm just so thankful that you've absorbed the sting of death, but I think I'm still just going to try to earn my way into heaven doing what I can do. Listen, if you go that route, you're going to stand before God and you are not going to have someone who has absorbed the sting of death for you. You know who's going to have to absorb it on that final day? You! 
You will be stung with the stinger of sin and the stinger of death, and it will result in your eternal separation from God forever. But the good news of the gospel is you can stand before God fully knowing the sting of death has been absorbed by Him because of what He accomplished on the cross, dying for your sins, buried, but then resurrecting to newness of life. See, if you're a believer here this morning, there's a way that you are to react to this. I mean, it's pretty simple. It's found in verse 58, and you can, you can go home and you can look at it. But basically what Paul is saying there in verse 58 is this. Let your belief match up with your behavior. He's saying, listen, in light of the resurrection, the way you respond to this resurrection mystery and this resurrection victory is this way. He says, be steadfast and be immovable. Take your belief and let it fuel your behavior to go and work for the Lord knowing that your labor is not in vain. Basically what he's saying is this, the resurrection matters for your salvation and the resurrection matters for your life. You can go home and you can read this. I put that before you. That is one of the ways you can respond as a believer. But if you are not a believer, maybe you're a questioner, you're a skeptic, maybe you're just curious, you're genuinely wrestling like with this Jesus thing, like your typical ebb and flow isn't coming watching like a red-faced guy fight bees up on the front of the stage, you know, like waving in airplanes and that kind of stuff. But you're now starting to think, what, am, what should I do with this stuff now? Like what's my response here? Like I don't even know if I believe this. And I think the response just simply goes back to the question that I posed to you earlier. Remember when Jesus was talking to that woman, Martha? I'm the resurrection and the life. It's who I am and it's what I do. What I do is who I am. They're they're inseparable. I am this and I bring this. And then he looked right at Martha in the face and said, do you believe this? Your response this morning is to ask yourself this question. To ask yourself this question. Do I see this? Do I see that my sin separates me from God? Do I see that I have no hope of salvation, that to be apart from God, to be outside of God is to be outside of Christ and to be... Outside of God in this way is to be hopeless. To be hopeless is to be outside of God. To be outside of God is to be hopeless. And to come face to face with this reality, my sin, not someone else's sin, but my sin separates me from God forever. That if I die, I will face the full sting of sin, which is death. Do I truly believe that Jesus has accomplished what he claims to have accomplished, this, absorbing the full sting of death on our behalf, bringing victory over sin and death that is ours? And the way that I think you answer the question, do I believe this, is that you begin to open the Bible and you begin to look. Because listen, if Jesus absorbed the sting of death but was still in the grave, then he didn't really quite absorb the full sting of death, is it? Because he's died like everyone else has. Everyone dies, everyone stays in the grave. One person in history can make the claim, I was once dead, but now I've been resurrected from the grave. And if that is true, that Jesus truly died, was truly buried, was truly stuck in a tomb, but on the third day resurrected to life by the power of God, then that is a game changer. You have to wrestle with this reality in your life. If Christ has been raised from the dead, the question for you is, how am I going to respond? My prayer and my hope is that you will respond with repentance and faith, turning from self-reliance and putting 
all of your weight in Christ reliance. Turning from doing my way, hoping that my way will somehow weigh out better in the end so when I can stand before God and go, well, at least there's like some more good stuff than bad stuff, right, God? And God's going to go, that's not the way that this works. What you need is Christ to cover you, His blood and His righteousness to make you right with the Father. And so as the band's going to come to play, here's my challenge for you on how you can respond. For some of you who are believers, you're going to respond this way. You're going to respond by singing songs. Some of you are going to respond by just sitting in your seat and praying. Some of you are going to respond by maybe praying with a friend or having a friend pray for you. If you're an unbeliever here and you're generally trying to just ask questions about these things as you, as you wrestle with them, your response might be this, truly asking that question, God, what are you doing here in this midst? Like, I'm actually asking questions about this and like, I'm sort of like actually curious about this and I've never been curious before. That's the Holy Spirit working on you. I mean, why are you now all of a sudden so interested in these things? It's because God is doing a work in you. Your response is to ask this prayer of God, God, show me what it looks like to place faith and trust in you. That is a prayer that God would delight to answer. So why don't you go ahead and and stand to your feet as the band is prepping and getting ready. Another legitimate way for you to respond is in this way, is by taking of the Lord's Supper. To partake of the Lord's Supper is to say something. It is to say this. What that juice and what that bread represents is Christ's body broken and Christ's blood poured out for my sins. What happened on the cross was that Jesus' body was bruised, it was abused, it was broken for our sins. What happened on the cross was Christ's blood poured out freely, the shedding of blood so that we could have the forgiveness of sins. And when we respond by taking the Lord's Supper, what we're saying is when I take that little piece of bread, when I take that little, that little cup of juice, and when I eat the bread and I drink the juice, what I'm saying is that what these things represent are true of me, that Christ's body and blood have ransomed me and made me right with the Father. If you are a born-again Christian, if you are a believer here this morning, that is a good and right way for you to respond. There's two tables in the front. There's one in the back. And when you come to take the Lord's Supper, you can just file down the middle and then just head back to your seat and take the Lord's Supper there. It just boils down to this. No matter what God is calling you to do, answer in obedience. Respond in obedience to whatever God is calling you to do.